And this morning's sermon entitled, There's a War Going On Out There, we took a look at how from the very moment of our baptism into Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, how we find ourselves traveling through a dark, hostile, and sin-saturated environment, and how we must therefore hold on tightly and follow as closely as we can behind our great friend, Savior, God, Guide, and Redeemer. How we must follow him all the way through this wilderness of wickedness, this wilderness of sin and death to finally safely arrive at what we call our extraction point at the end of this earthly life where we will be airlifted home to safety. Use the analogy there of a TV show and a theme of popular movies. We discussed this morning again and examined at length how we have this flawless and perfect survival guide called the Bible. It details in it how to succeed in this earthly journey as we follow Jesus through this wilderness of sin, death, and darkness. We talked about how within its sacred pages, it tells us every weapon of Satan's and how to defuse and defeat them. We talked this morning about how it will effectively help us fight and win the good fight of faith. We talked about that this morning and how the Bible describes this waging the good warfare, which is another phrase we saw, how the Bible talks about this whole life with Jesus once we come out of the baptistry. This whole Christian experience, many times how it's described in the Bible as war, warfare, hostile, battle, wrestle, conflict, words like those. The reason why is because every second that Satan can, he is going to do everything in his power to wage war to get us back with him in the lake of fire forever. So in tonight's sermon, which serves as sort of a sequel, kind of maybe, to this morning's, we're going to examine an Old Testament illustration, a, an Old Testament illustration of that same exact theme that we talked about this morning, of that same exact process, of that, of that same exact pattern that we talked about. And we're going to begin in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 3 with this text. It says in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 3, Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. The promised land, as we call it. A land flowing with milk and honey. We sing songs like, to Canaan's land I'm on my way. We talk about, in some of the songs we sing today, about entering that heavenly promised land. All of these phrases, land flowing with milk and honey, promised land, all of these song titles and phrase, uh, phrases remind us as New Testament Christians of one thing. 
that sweet, sinless, eternal, heavenly place of rest that God promised us when this life is over, if we would but follow him, that beautiful place of rest that awaits the faithful. Incredibly, we see that same journey played out in the Old Testament. We see that entire journey complete with the battles that we will be forced to fight as they were forced to fight if we are to maintain our faithfulness to God and the surety of our salvation between the point where we are set free from our sins and the point where we enter into the promised land. Between those two points, there's a lot of battles to be won. There's a lot of challenges. There's a lot of opportunities to learn and to grow. And, and again, we see them all played out in this Old Testament example that we are about to talk about. You know, I think sometimes as we sing these songs, read these scriptures, and seek to focus our, our spiritual eyes on that promised eternal inheritance that we have waiting, sometimes we can kind of overlook this battlefield which lies between, again, our initially being freed from sin and our entering the promised rest. And so tonight's sermon is the battle for the promised land. Because as the Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter 14, after he'd been stoned and left for dead, when he returned to the congregations of Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, he exhorted them to continue in the faith, saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God, Acts 14, 22, and that's still true today. There's gonna to be tribulations in that, that battle zone between freedom from sin and entering the promised land. But again, we see this entire journey played out in the Old Testament. Let us begin to examine that. Please open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. To the book of Hebrews, chapter three. Want to lay a little groundwork down. First thing that I want for us to understand is that the book of Hebrews is a book of contrasts. The book of Hebrews is a book that continually contrasts or illustrates our spiritual experience or journey by using as an example the Old Testament's physical journey of the people of God. And, and it contrasts them and illustrates back and forth. For example, if I were to begin reading here and ask you to follow me along in chapter three, notice how it uses the Old Testament's physical history to show us somewhat of our spiritual experience and what we need to be doing. This is just as an example. Hebrews 3, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. You see what he's doing already? Right? Hebrews is saying, this is what you got in Christ. J just like, th think of the Old Testament Moses. who was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses was faithful in his house. Verse three, for this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. 
For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses, here's the contrast again, indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward, but Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. In the day of trial in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, they saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways, so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. And you see what the writer's doing? He's saying, look, here's what happened in the Old Testament. Here's how it applies to you. Don't let this happen to you on a higher level. Remember this? Don't let this happen to you. He says, beware, brethren, talking to New Testament Christians, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion. See how he keeps taking them back to there? He's saying, look, some of them lost it. Some of them did not manage to make it into the promised land. Some of them, through the hardness of their hearts, even after they were set free, they didn't make it all the way. He said, don't you fall to that same thing. See the contrast? See the illustration? Verse 16. For you having heard, for who having heard rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? With whom was God angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? To whom did he swear they wouldn't enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Therefore, since a promise, chapter 4 and verse 1, remains of entering his rest, let us fear any of, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Again and again and again and again, the book of Hebrews. Same, same pattern. We can see how this applies to us. And the, the idea of this text is this. That we need to remember as New Testament Christians. It's okay. That one, as long as that one doesn't flash, I'm good. As New Testament Christians, we must be very much aware that between Moses leading people out of the Red Sea and their crossing into the Promised Land, as it were, the Jordan River, that in between those two, there were struggles and growth between those two elements. We understand that. We see that. Folks, in between those two, they had so many problems. They had so many things that they struggled with. Being set free and getting through the Red Sea from slavery is not the same as entering Canaan. There are many problems, life and death struggles, needless casualties, and countless opportunities where the people had two choices. All of those struggles, we got two choices. We can trust the God who set us free or we can do it our way. That's basically what their choices and options came down to. God says do this, 
We can trust and obey him no matter what. It was an opportunity to grow. Or they could take the easy way out and seek to do things their own way, not being restrained by what their survival guide said. Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is a passage that I was explaining a little earlier this evening to one of the brothers here. I think sometimes we tend to read over this without as full of an understanding or picture maybe of, of how intensely it applies to us. 1 Corinthians 10, it's a pretty familiar passage, but it's kind of the centerpiece for tonight that I really want us to digest in light of this graphic. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now, if you think about that, it is easy to see the mirrored parallel here between their baptism into Moses, and no, they weren't immersed in the water like exactly we are, but they went through the water, that's what it's talking about. It's easy to see that mirrored parallel here between their baptism into Moses, and hence when they were, went through the Red Sea, they were separated from that which had enslaved them. It is easy to see the parallel between that and us when we are baptized into Christ and we are freed from the sin that enslaved us. The parallel is very, very clear there. We are immersed in the waters of Christian baptism, resulting in our subsequent separation from enslavement to the sin which we have been suffering. Acts 2, Acts 22, Romans 6. And the Apostle Paul, as well as the writer of Hebrews, both use this example of the Old Testament Israelites to illustrate this New Testament truth that we are talking about. It's the same way as, it's the same idea as in 1 Peter chapter 3, where Peter talks about we need to be baptized like, remember those of Noah's day? And you remember those in Noah's day who got into the ark were saved by water? They were separated from the sinful world by water, and he uses that as an illustration of baptism, 1 Peter 3, 21, which now saves you. That is, um, this pledge of a good conscience toward God, it's the water that separates us from the sins of the world, the same way that Noah and the ark did, and they had to be in the ark to be saved. We have to be in Christ to be saved. The Old Testament is so beautiful in that, in that it gives us all of these, these illustrations of New Testament truths that are fleshed out all the more in the New Testament, and this is just another example of that. But here's the question. What exactly happened between, in between Israel's, Israel's passing through and coming out of the waters of the Red Sea and they're finally possessing promised land? What happened in between? I'll tell you what happened. The same thing that happens to us. The same thing that happens to us from the moment that we are freed from our sins till we cross into heaven. There's some struggle. Challenge after challenge. Battle after battle. Talked about that this morning. And here's the beautiful part. 
opportunity after opportunity to learn to trust God more deeply. Let me ask you a question. The last time that you went through a struggle and you trusted God, did your faith grow? That's what challenges are, is our opportunity to learn to trust God more. And so these struggles in between help us to grow more mature in our faith, our love, our trust of, our appreciation for, and our obedience to God before we are finally allowed to enter that eternal promised land and rest. Now, as we know, a lot of people that, yeah, I'm on the wrong slide. A lot of people who came through the Red Sea, freed from sin, somewhere between the two got lost, didn't they? They didn't all make it, did they? There was a whole generation of them that, that didn't make it. And we see that parallel right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses three through four. It says, all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink. They drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Well, it's the same with us, isn't it? When we come out of the waters of baptism, haven't we all been partakers of Christ? Partakers of his forgiveness. You see the parallel. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 then goes on, verse five, but with most of them, most of them who had been set free from slavery, most of them God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness between the two. These things became our examples. Paul's doing the same thing the Hebrew writer did. He's saying, look, this is how it worked for them. Use this, grow from this, take this illustration and, and put it in your heart so that the same thing doesn't happen to you that happened to so many of them. So many of them stopped fighting the battle. So many of them didn't fight the battle vigorously. He goes on to say here again in verse six, these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Don't become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. He said, look at everything that they did, don't do that. And we look at that and we say, we'd never do any of those. We would never complain, would we? Just saying. We need to learn, trust our Lord more deeply. If God, and this isn't an if, he did, but if God set us free from our sins, if he loved us so much, he gave his only begotten son, as it says in Romans, If Christ died for us at just the right time, and he did, and he forgave us our sins, isn't he a God that's worth trusting with everything else? Everything else? Everything else? If, if he took care of our sins that fully, if he was willing, when we were enemies because of our sins, to take care of our sins that fully, isn't he a God worth trusting with everything else? And that's kind of the point here. I, I can't. I can't imagine, and I've said this before, and I, I gotta say it again, just had this discussion with somebody, I can't imagine what it would have been to walk through that Red Sea on dry land, can you? We've seen pictures and all this and Hollywood's depict, but I, 
You walk through this dry, you know, water used to be here just not long ago, but now it's, it's as dry as this carpet. And, and, and here's, here's the Red Sea up on both sides. And I wonder if they, I still wonder if they saw fish in those things, you know? And, and, and don't you think it took a lot of faith to walk down between those two walls of water? And if God could do that, and he did, and wasn't he worth trusting with everything else? And yet, they didn't. They didn't, and we've got to. As we look at this, it tells us in verse 11, all these things happened to them as examples and were written for our admonition upon whom the end of the ages have come. Paul says to our brethren in first century Corinth, hey, guys, this stuff's all been written down so you and I don't make the same mistakes they made in between our being set free and our entering the promised land because we all need to make it. I want for us to take just a few minutes, and I'm not going to go to every one of them, but I want us to take just a few minutes and consider some of the specific struggles and tests of faith, some of the, some of the challenges and opportunities that God gave them to learn and to grow and to trust him through, but that many tragically refused to do that. Those things that happened in between, they're being set free and they're entering the promised land as they apply to us. As soon as the Israelites went through the water, as soon as they went through the Red Sea, Exodus chapter 14, just like with Jesus in Matthew chapter 3 and 4, the tests begin. Turn to me to Exodus 15. The test started, the honing process. God reaching out and saying, will you trust me? After all that you've seen and been through, after all that, will you trust me? Exodus 15. Did they? Verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Exodus 15, 22. And they went out into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness, found no water. When they came to Myra, they could not drink the waters of Myra, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Myra. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What do we drink? He cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. See, there's our word. He tested them and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments, and keep his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. God's saying, look, I'm worth trusting, here's your water. Just listen to me and love me enough to do it my way. Well, now if you're taking notes, that's going to get real handy because I'm not going to turn to any of the rest of these. I just want to remember them briefly. In chapter 16, what did they do? They complained. They complained about God's provision of daily bread. Let us never complain about God's provision. They complained about God's provision of daily bread. They were tested again. 
chapter 17, there was war with the Amalekites, the pagans around them. We spoke at length this morning about the war, just as, again, just as right in between here where this white box and black letters is. They were tested during that time just as we are going to be as well. And we talked about this morning the fact that sometimes Satan's going to use people to try to discourage us, to try to get us to stop following our God. They warred with those that didn't know God around them as well. Chapter 18. There's so many disputes amongst them as a people that they're wearing Moses out. And so Moses appoints people to judge and to help him with that. Brethren, it's very difficult for leadership of any kind, particularly in the church, when all people want to do is complain. Let us never do that. Chapter 32, they fell for the temptation to self-structured will worship. They fell to the temptation of self-structured or will worship. They decided to worship a golden calf of their own making because what they wanted to do. Similar parallel to us today, how many children, today's adult, but how many children do we know who grew up in the church faithful in the church, knew the truth, but today have settled for a non-biblical, denominational even, method of worship. You see, their struggles between the two places that they crossed, not a lot different from ours in a lot of ways. That's why 1 Corinthians 10 says, hey, Pay attention to what they did and, and, and fight the right way, fight the right battle, trust God and, and, and win this fight. A lot of them didn't. In Leviticus 10, more of their leaders introduced false, unauthorized will, will worship. Worship, I can say that. Nadab and Abihu. And they saw what happened to them. We do not have a right. I don't care if you're an elder, don't care if you're a preacher, don't care if you're a deacon, don't care if you're a member. We have absolutely no right whatsoever, no authority whatsoever to add anything to the Lord's church in worship that the Lord did not ordain. This church belongs to Jesus Christ. He bought it with his blood. It's his church. He owns us. We are his. Therefore, it is his way or it's not the church. As they moved on from Mount Sinai, the people continually complained and many of them were consumed because that's all they wanted to do, Numbers chapter 11. In Numbers chapter 12, they had to endure revolt and division amongst the leadership. This is why it is so important. We have leadership in the church, elders and deacons, that they are men who fit the qualifications that God gave us so that they can be of one mind. doesn't mean they're going to agree on every issue. What it does mean is, is that when they make a decision, they all stand behind it. That's what it means. It means they're of one mind. It's not a divided leadership, because if you have a divided leadership, you have a divided membership. And again, in chapter 12 of Numbers, there was division amongst the leadership. In chapter 13, the people had failed the test, and listened to the ten spies instead of to God. 
paying the ultimate price next chapter or so. Listen. God had 12 spies go into the promised land. And basically God's message to them was, I got this beautiful place for you. I'm going to bring you into this beautiful place. As a matter of fact, have you ever bought somebody something for a particular holiday? Maybe husband, wife, maybe it's an anniversary, maybe it's Christmas, but but you got you got the present of the ages. You got just this thing, you just you just, man, it came early, and here it is, and you had a terrible time not giving it to them early. Anybody ever done that? Really? Okay. One or two. <clears throat> and a few others who aren't willing to admit it. Okay, no. God says, I got this beautiful place. As a matter of fact, he says, why don't you I'll get this. That's what I want. Why don't you send some spies over and check this out? Send them and see if it isn't this wonderful place. It's everything I promised. Send them. And so they go. And they come back. And Joshua and Caleb said, this is awesome. Terrible paraphrase. You know the story. And the other ten say, yeah, but we can't do it. How is it that people who have seen the ten plagues People that have walked through walls of water on dry ground. People who have seen Pharaoh's army that had overpowered them, that had subjugated them for all those years, drown in the depths of the sea, say, well, you know, those guys over there, they're bigger than we are, we can't do it. Really? But again, how is that any different than some of the struggles that we often go through? When we come up against something that's not all that big, maybe, compared to some of the things God's brought us through before, we say, oh man, what am I going to do now? Woe is me. How am I going to handle this? And we've already seen God work in our lives before and do incredible things. You see, there's not all that much difference between what they went through and what we go through. Between being set free from sin and entering the promised rest. In chapter 16 of Numbers, there is rebellion and rejection of God's chosen leadership for his people. And that did not end well at all for the insurrectionists. They raised this big tumult against Moses' leadership. Going to take Moses down. They're going to replace him. But Moses was God's leader. And so, God acts and takes care of Korah and the boys. Okay. You know what the people did then? They blame Moses for that. Isn't it funny how sometimes you do the right thing, you do what God tells you to do, and God acts and is God and does what God does, and people blame you? That's exactly what happened. Yeah, they had a lot of struggles between those two, just like we sometimes do. Chapter 17, even the mighty man of God, Moses, became so frustrated that he sinned and, quote, fell from grace. And as you read through and on to the book of Deuteronomy, even to the end of Joshua, you will see that they were continually warned about and or engaged in wars and battles 
with friends, family, members, congregation members, foreign kings, enemy forces, on and on it goes. In fact, if you read Joshua 14, you'll find it was 45 years from the time the spies were sent into the promised land until the Israelites finally experienced the peace God had promised that they would. We often tell people when they are baptized in Christ because we fear that they're going to get baptized and say, okay, I've got it made. I'm going to heaven and they don't do anything else. And, and because we fear that and because this, this statement I'm about to make is also true, we often tell them, look, baptism is just the beginning. You ever tell somebody that? It's just the beginning. That baptism is just the beginning. It's true. When they were set free, it was just the beginning. Just like when we are set free. That doesn't guarantee heaven. Unless we stick with the Lord all the way. And that doesn't mean that we're gonna, it doesn't mean that we're gonna be flawless. It doesn't mean that we're going to never make a mistake. It doesn't mean we're never gonna mess up. Everybody messes up. That's not what it means. But what it means is, is when we mess up, we hang on to our Lord and Savior, and we throw ourselves on his mercy and his grace, and we get up and we try it again with his help. We hang on to our God. That's what we do. God doesn't ask us to be sinless. In fact, 1 John tells us that even as Christians that we're going to sin and we need to confess those sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. It's a continual thing. We're not proud of it. We're ashamed of it. We try not to, but the fact is we're still going to mess up. We're not going to be perfect in this life. God's not asking that. What God is asking is this. From the time he sets us free, that some of the struggles and battles that aren't going to come because Satan's not going to leave us alone, that we love him, love God, and we trust him enough to hold on to him and do what he told us to do in those situations. That's all they needed to do, people. That's all they needed to do to make it into promised land, and that's all we need to do. From the very moment we were set free and separated from the forces that had enslaved us, went through the water by faith for a lot of years, challenges, battles, and opportunities. They were meticulously tried and trained and taught and tested trust God more so that they could finally cross over to be in that rest that God had promised. Same way for us. If we would go back to Hebrews where we read earlier, let us pick up in chapter 4 and see that it is the same for us. Hebrews chapter 4 beginning in verse 9. And, and I don't, I don't want to have you leave here tonight saying, "Wow, that was really solemn." Because you know, don't forget, don't forget the good news of the close this morning. Remember Revelation 19. Remember this morning, we win. All we got to do is stay with Jesus. That's it. That's it. We need to love Him enough to trust Him to do it His way, and we win. Period. Hands down. No question. End of discussion. That's that's that. They didn't do it. That's that's all we got to do is hang on to Jesus. How hard is it to hang on to somebody that loves you more than life itself? He gave his life for you and for me. Hebrews four. After he's talked to them in Hebrews three, which we read, and part of four about how many of them fell away because they didn't have faith and, and all of those things. Look what he says as he applies it to us. Verse nine, Hebrews four. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. 
For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his brethren. Newsflash, there is a rest still promised, still waiting for the people of God. Isn't that awesome? I want that rest. And, and I want that rest so bad. I want to I want to cross over into heaven. I've already been set free from sin, but I want to cross over into heaven. I want that rest. And so in all these battles and struggles, and I battle just like you do, I'm as human as any of the rest of you are. And, and sometimes I don't always win, but you know what? i got a Savior who's willing to forgive me and pick me up again and give me another try as long as I am faithful to him. What an awesome God. And that's the point here. Look what he says, verse 11. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. That is, like they did, as we've already talked about in the Old Testament. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to him, to the eyes of him, to whom we must give account. Here comes the beautiful punchline, just like this morning in Revelation 19. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Let us not do what they did. Let us not throw it away because we don't trust God. Let us do exactly what this says and hang on to our guide as we're going through this wilderness of sin between these two things. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Listen, when you go to Jesus in prayer and you say, Lord, I am so sorry I let you down. Jesus was tempted in all things as we are. He understands what an awesome God. He was here in the flesh. The point is, he understands. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was at all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, those struggles and those battles, he's been here. He's beat them. He's won. He never sinned. He never fell. But he understands the temptation. And so he's here for anybody who truly wants to cross over into heaven from their baptism into Christ, he's here to help you, to guide you, to forgive you when you fall, to love you when you make a mistake. You've just got to want to love him enough to ask for his forgiveness, to receive it, to get up and take another swing at it. What an awesome God. Maybe you're here tonight and you haven't gone through this baptism into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You see, that's where we're set free. But just as we've seen baptism in that initial time through the water, yeah, if, if you come up out of the water and your sins are forgiven and you pass away right at that very moment, yeah, you're okay. But chances are that that won't happen and so you get baptized and you get through the water have your sins forgiven. But once you do that, there's still lessons to be learned. 
There's still battles that are going to have to be fought. There's still challenges that are going to be put out there. There are still choices that are going to have to be made. There's still crosses that are going to have to be borne. There's still battles that are going to have to be fought, as I said, struggles to be endured, and faith and obedience to be built. Jesus Christ will never let go of you. For he has said, never will I leave you nor forsake you. He will be there for you to make sure that those battles are won and that you get to cross over into that heavenly rest as long as, as long as you will trust him and obey him. I am so grateful to be a Christian. I am so grateful to have such an awesome God. If you would be baptized in Christ tonight, or if you need the prayers of the church for more strength in your struggles, anything that we can do to help you in this battle that you have to face on a daily basis, please let us know when we stand and sing.